Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So, as I was saying earlier about um, the family that is going, uh, we had talked a long time in the last several months about having a, a mission Sunday and, and so on and so forth. And, and if you know me, and many of you do, I'm, I'm not a very good planner. Um, and by God's grace, he's, he's put some good planners around me uh, that is very helpful for me. I, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's sin. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to ask God when I get there. But um, and, and so we were planning on, on actually doing another series starting uh, at the end of John, obviously. And, and this week, it just kind of hit me like, we're done. It's the weekend. We're having the commissioning service. It's the same Sunday. And God said, you're supposed to speak on missions. And I think God just orchestrated that because in his grace, he does things like that, even when I, I'm not paying attention. And so uh, this morning, we are looking at this idea of, of what it means when God has, in Matthew, when it talks about the Great Commission. I would ask all of you to think about a time when um, you first heard the gospel. Now, maybe you're uh, a born-again believer this morning, and so obviously you've heard the gospel somewhere. It was on a, a pastor at some point, or a, a mom, or a faithful mom or dad that shared the gospel with you, a, a family member, a brother. Maybe it was a radio program, or some maybe not theologically always correct TV pastor that God used. Um, I remember in my life, when I was in my late teens, uh, God used a lot of what I would say televangelists who I would never tell you to watch today, and, and theologically I would tell you that it is not right, but God even in his mercy uses individuals like that for his good and for calling people. And so I don't know how maybe the gospel first got to your ears, but aren't you glad it did? Aren't you glad that someone was intentional about sharing the gospel with you? Can you imagine where you would be in your life right now if that wouldn't have happened? That person wouldn't have made time and, and maybe had to get some courage even to do it. And so today is, is we kind of continue here in this idea that I'm kind of going to hook on to last week a little bit. So last week we talked about here we were at the end of John where, where Jesus is, is restoring Peter and he basically makes this call multiple times there to follow him. Even though it's going to be very difficult for Peter, even though life is going to be hard, in fact he's going to die and we, we saw all that restoration. He's reminding Peter of his love for him. He's reminding Peter that he loves him. This is both ways. We looked at last week, we said, following Jesus is, it's all about following Jesus. This morning, I want to kind of tag on to that. And so our big idea, which is, for those of you maybe are new, our big idea a lot of times we use, it's this idea of kind of what's the, the thrust of the, the conversation we're going to have today, the message we're going to have today. And our big idea this morning is following requires going. And, and so last week, Jesus calls them to Follow. He doesn't tell them they're going to have to go, that one of the, the, the prerequisites or the, one of the conditions of following is going. But yet before he leaves the planet, leaves the earth, before he ascends back to his father, he has this time here at the end of Matthew. Now we're switching gospels here at the end of Matthew where Jesus 
basically calls his disciples back to Galilee. In fact, even last week, we could see that when they were, um, the whole reconciliation of Peter and this conversation along the shore, that was in Galilee. And so what does he do here? He's going to commission them for a work. Today, we, tonight, we're commissioning a family for a specific work. But I'm going to make the argument that we've all been commissioned. That we, that we all are under, we've all been asked to follow. As I said last week, we've been commanded to follow. Jesus is, doesn't mince these words there. We follow. And I think this is in the same vein. If we follow, it requires going. And, and we're going to talk about what that going looks like here. And so if you have your Bibles open, which I hope you still have them open, it's, we're going to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Just a few verses we're going to look at this morning. And, and it is called the Great Commission. And, and it obviously is a, a very famous, popular, well-taught-on piece of Scripture. Um, and, and we're just going to take a look at it. And, and you may have had some other pastors that have preached on this you've heard. And, and so you may be very familiar to you. So we're just going to try and draw a few things out of it. I just want to kind of stay in the text. I really thought about there's lots of passages through the New Testament um, about what God is doing, you know, and we go to uh, Jerusalem and Judea and beyond, and we're supposed to take the gospel there, and there's all these passages we could go to. And I'm really trying this morning to kind of do my best to kind of stay here in the text, because I think there's enough that we can glean from this text that, that we can stay right here and stay here as much as possible. So this first verse in Matthew 28, verse 16, he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, it's kind of looking back here. He's, Matthew is saying, we were told to go to Galilee to a special place. And I assume that the, the disciples knew where to go specifically. It's not really mentioned here. It could have been to the mountainous region. Obviously, they had to know exactly kind of where to go. And we know that, that Jesus had been telling them to go to Galilee. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. We see earlier in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32. It says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is before he was crucified. He's already planning and, and planting the seed in their minds what, what they're going to do and where he's going to be. And, and when he gets resurrected, he's going to go to Galilee. They want him to go, and he's going to meet them there. Now, Galilee is obviously a good ways away from Jerusalem, from Judea. And, and Jesus spent most of his ministry in, in Galilee and all of that area there among very common people, a lot of times we think that Jesus spent all his time in Jerusalem. That's really not where he did the bulk of his ministry. He went there and he, he spoke and he taught, but really he spent a lot of his time in the region of Galilee. And so it's fitting that where he's going to do this is back in Galilee. We see again in Matthew 28, earlier in the chapter here, verse 7. It says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. This is the angel speaking to, I think, Mary. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And so we see that Jesus has given specific instructions where he's going to meet them. And so what is the first thing we see here about this idea, if we follow, we must go? The very first thing, it's very simple, that going requires obedience. Right? I mean, think about if they wouldn't have went. The simple little thing about going to Galilee. What if they would have said, you know what, man, we're in Jerusalem. I don't want to go all the way back there. That's a long, I mean, they couldn't just hop in a car and be there in 10 minutes, right? This was, this was a walk. This was a long journey. And yet, 
They had to be obedient. If they wouldn't have been obedient, they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have been commissioned. None of this would have happened. And so our walk and, and our, our decisions and how God is going to work in our life depends on our obedience, our simple day-in and day-out obedience. I believe that we are commanded, encouraged, you know, um, to read Scripture, to pray. I think we're commanded to do all those things, to fast. It's one of the things I don't do very good at. And if we're not obedient in those things, how do we expect to hear from God? In fact, I think many of us kind of wonder where God is and why is he not speaking and why can't I hear him and, and how do I come I don't know what he's asking of me. And, and, and when we look in our lives, sometimes we see that well, we're not praying, really. And if we are, it's thanking God for dinner and, you know, bless us where we go tonight and keep us safe. But no real heart-wrenching disclosure and transparency and crying out to God and praising him for who he is and, and just being overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy. I just don't spend time in Bible study. We read from time to time. We're here. We have our Bibles with us. We do a, a devotion from here to there. And, look, and those aren't bad. Those are all good things. But really to study Scripture, to dig in to study Scripture. What does God have to say? I mean, God has wrote us an incredible letter. <laughs> and, and we need to kind of come and see and taste it and desire it. And obviously fasting, it's... it's Jesus talked about that. I don't have time to go into all that, but this idea that when we're really, you know, searching for God, and, and sometimes we have to just kind of cut, cut our flesh loose a little bit and deny it so that we can say, hey, Lord, I, I am here, man. I am all in. I, I want to hear from you. And I think it's those moments that God speaks very clearly to us. And, and maybe it's because we can't hear him during the other times. Maybe it's because we're just being obedient to his call. It's the simple things. Sometimes I think in Christianity, you know, obviously theology is very important and, and all of these things and doctrine, but it really starts with just a basic obedience to his word. Very simple, very simple. So what do we see here? God requires obedience. Let's go into verse 20, or 28, verse 17, the first part of it. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, we're not 100% sure when this event is taking place in the structure of all the things that took place in Galilee. We know that Jesus appeared to them multiple times. He appeared to them on the beach there, as we saw last week in John 21. And, and so we're not exactly sure, but I believe this was after that. And you'd say, well, but all the disciples weren't at the beach. We remember who was there. We don't think they were all there. And so this question is, it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. So obviously, uh, for those that had had not seen him, and for those that had seen him, maybe at the resurrection all the way back in Jerusalem, he'd come through the door. They were overwhelmed. They understood that this is God in the flesh. This is Jesus, the Messiah, that they've been waiting hundreds of years for. And so they worshiped. And it's interesting, we don't really see that before the resurrection, do we? They called him master and teacher and all of those things. But now, after the resurrection, we see that Mary drops to his feet when he's risen from the dead. And, and, and she falls and she grabs his feet. Now this is idea of this worship. They understand who he is, the magnitude of who he is. And the response is one of worship. Is that your response today? When you come before God... When you come before the scripture, when you come into this place, when you 
when you pray, when you, is, is your response one of worship? Is, is it one of being overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy and the love of God? Or is it one of checking the box? Is it one of a duty that I have to just do this and drudgery? And I understand sometimes our flesh just doesn't want to come along. I get it. Mine's there too, right? But, but I want to encourage you to, to be praying that God will give you a heart of worship. It's the first thing when, when they come before him, they worship. And then it says, but some doubted. And we say, well, how does that make sense? These are the disciples. Maybe they've already seen him. And, and while I don't have an exact answer for you, I, can't, I wasn't there. I, I can tell you that what I think, and when you look at the translation of that word doubted, it was hesitant. It's really a, maybe a better translation. Look, the Holy Spirit had not come yet. It had not been given to them yet. And so even though they understood who he was and they, they worshiped, there was some doubt in some of them. It's like, really? Like, have, have you ever had that? I mean, many of you, we talked a few weeks ago about this divided heart. You believe you are sold out for Christ. You, you love the Lord. And, and there's moments that you hesitate. You wonder, is this really true? Like, man, I have those moments. Man, I have them a lot. Now, I have certain spiritual disciplines that I enact when I start to feel that way. And I remember, I have mile markers, and we call them sometimes Ebenezer's in, in, in the past, things that we remember. We see that in Scripture where they piled up stones, and it was to remind people that God moved here so that other people would come. They would understand that God moved in this place. I have those in my life, and I would encourage you to have those in your life. Places where you can clearly see and remember that God moved and spoke to you or, or worked in a situation that is just incredible. And if we remember those, it helps us to bring us back. So what do we, what's the next thing we see? Or not only does going require obedience, but our worship precedes our going. Worship precedes our going. It's before we go. Now, why, why is that important? Because you will not go anywhere if you, you're going to go what you, after what you worship. You're going to pursue what you worship. And that is true in all things. If you want material items, you will, and you worship them, and you may say, well, I don't worship them. But it is, if it's what you're pursuing, and we look at worship, anything that we value, especially over God. We looked at that a few weeks ago, is that there has to be this overarching thing. I think I said this last week, and, but it's, I think it bears repeating that that I've talked to people and I've said, I was in a counseling situation recently and, and, and there was some situations going on in these people's lives that they had sinned and, and, and both of them had sinned in different ways and, and I kind of talked to them about that and they said, well, we know not to do that anymore. I said, well, how do you know that? Well, we, we just know now not to do it. I said, we know it's wrong. And I said, well, did you know it was wrong before you did it? Well, yeah. I said, well, you did it then. What's the difference now? You, you know it's wrong now and you did it then. You knew it was wrong. Why would you do it differently? And they kind of looked at me dumbfounded. I'm like, because you, you have to worship something greater than that sin. There has to be something greater, more, more significant in your life that, that grabs your attention, that, that grabs your heart and mind. And ultimately, that needs to be Christ. And, and when that thing is there, it will dictate everything that you do. Everything will be through that prism, through that lens, through that understanding about who he is and through your love for him. Our worship precedes our going. The first thing that they did was they worshiped. And then what do we see here in verse 28, verse 17, the second part of it in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a powerful passage. All authority has been given to him. And you say, well, didn't he have all authority already? Right? We'll get to that. But here, let's go back a little bit in early in the Gospel of Matthew, and let's see some places where we see how, how they already saw the authority in Christ, or how he was able to give authority. We go all the way back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. He says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus was set apart from everybody else. From all the knowledge of the scribes and those that had studied scripture, here's a young man, 30 years old, new on the scene, teaching like no one else has ever taught. And they can see that he has authority. We see again then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. This is when he is sending the apostles out to people. He's actually commissioning them in some ways. He's preparing them. He's getting used to what ultimately is going to be their commissioning someday. It says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So here Jesus tells them and gives them authority to do these things. Gives it to them. He has this authority that he can do this. And you say, well, what's the difference here? If he has authority, why now here at the end he's saying he's been given, this is after the resurrection, he's been given all authority. But notice what he says there. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. I believe that this is now a universal authority that Christ has been given by his Father. It is something that he, he, yes, he was God in the flesh, and, but, but there's this unique thing now that's happening, I believe, that God is now really just bestowing on him all authority. Now he is risen. He is the king of kings. He is it, right? He's not in the flesh in the sense of he's not bound by that anymore. And so here we see it. And where do we see this picture of this? It's a beautiful picture. If we go back in the Old Testament and we see some of Daniel's uh, visions about, about Christ, I'll take you to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This is Daniel speaking. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. Now, the ancient of days is God the Father. And he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is, ever, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is this, this thing that God is just, it's this new chapter in, in redemptive history that, that now Christ has accomplished the work of, of the crucifixion and the resurrection. He's accomplished defeating death. He's brought freedom to all those that will come to know him and now he's been given all authority in heaven and earth. And so now, as the disciples are worshiping him, in, he's, what is he doing? He's telling them, I have all authority, guys. I mean, you can trust me. You can put your hope and your faith in me. You've already seen me do all these things. You've seen me resurrected from the dead, and now I'm kind of summing it up for you. I have all authority now. And so what do we see here? Not only does going require obedience and our worship precedes our going, but we go under 
and in his authority. Don't, don't miss the fact that this, this authority is so important. We go under his authority and we go in his authority. We see this idea of being under his authority. We could go lots of places. I don't have time to do all of that. But Acts, 20, or Acts 5 verse 29. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. They had been arrested, and they'd been told not to speak of the gospel. Here in the book of Acts, the, the church was spreading. Uh, Pentecost had come, and, and they were out sharing the gospel. They had been commissioned to go, remember? Now we're looking back, right? This commissioning has is, is, is already happened, and so now they're, they're out sharing the gospel here in Acts chapter 5. And, and the, the religious, Jewish religious leaders do not want that. They, and that, so they put them in prison, and they've told them not to do it. And basically what he says here is, says, look, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. They're under his authority. They, they submit themselves to his authority. You know, they could have been people pleasers and said, you know, right, we're going to get in trouble. I really don't want to be in prison again. God will understand. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. No, God has said, no, you, this is how you should live. You know, every time we decide whether we're going to follow, whether we're going to obey, whether we're going to... Um, you know, live a, a, strive to live a holy life, and, and by God's grace, none of us are going to be able to do that. We rest in his grace and his mercy. But I believe God wants us to live holy before him, to be sanctified by his word and by, by as our, we live out our life. And so when we do that, we, we have to have this place, we have to decide that we're going to put ourselves under his authority. And once again, I would go back to the fact that what we worship and what is the most important in our heart and our mind is ultimately what we'll be willing to put ourselves under the authority of. And so that's why that principle is so important. Our understanding and our relationship with God in that way is so important. But not only are we under his authority, but we go in, in his authority. So as we go, we're going under his authority. Wherever we go, we are to live the way he's asked us to live, under his authority, right? But we also go in his authority, you could say with his authority. How do we see that? This is Matthew 16, verse 19. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's given them authority here. And this is sometimes a very, um, I believe, a misquoted or a misunderstood um, passage. Some in the Christian world will, will say this and say, see, we can speak and we can bind things and we can, we can do all of these things because of the speaking of the word and we can make that happen. I don't think at all that's what this passage is trying to tell you. What this says is, is based on his word, based on, on who God is and what we know, we can, we can bind things. So if someone says, I'm, I'm living... Um, I, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm, I'm willfully in pornography or I'm, I'm willfully in... Um, homosexuality or adultery or whatever, I can bind that with them in that moment. In other words, I can say that is wrong, that it is sinful, and you should not do that. That is not what God wants. I can, I can bind that. In other words, I can, because what heaven and, and the Bible says and what God has given me, I've been a, I have authority to, in his word, I can do that. I can stand on that. The challenge is that many of us don't walk in that authority, do we? We, we don't want to say that to anyone. We think, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and, you know, I don't, that's kind of harsh, and I know I have some sin in my life, and no, God has given us authority as the saints to be able to do that, to do it in love, right, to admonish one another, and yet the church just doesn't want to do that, and we wonder sometimes why the church is in the status it is sometimes in our culture. 
Because the saints are not walking in that authority. And we do that in love, not in judgment, not in self-righteousness, because only by God's grace go we. We are so fully dependent on the grace of God. And that's why we worship, is the grace. He, trans, he just transforms us. Let's look at the next passage here. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Wow, it's quite the, it's quite the commissioning right there, right? That's, that's the commissioning piece. It, this is, he's, they've worshiped, they've obeyed, they've went, they went to Galilee, they've done what Jesus has asked, they've, they've set up for the meeting, they've worshiped him, worship has preceded this. They've decided that they're going to place him. They understand he has authority, and they've acknowledged that, and now they're going to place themselves under his authority, and now he commissions them. He says, go, therefore. What do you mean, go, therefore? What do you mean? Go, therefore, because I have authority. I have it. All of it's been given to me. Now, therefore, go. I'm it. No one can come against me, right? If God is for us, boy, you guys really got that one down. If God is for us, who can be against us? He has all authority. Do you, do you think about that? Do you meditate on that in your life? When things are, are seemingly going the wrong way, when, when the world is seemingly going up, is upside down, when we look at the, the world crisis in the world, when we look at Ukraine and Russia, when we look at all the things in our culture that seem to be upside down and sin, do you say, well, God has authority over all of that? We would say he's sovereign over all of it. That's another way to say it. He has authority over it all. Nothing is going to happen that he is not going to allow to happen, and he's, not going to, he's going to use everything that does happen for his purposes. We call that providence. Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for those who love God and call it according to his purpose. He's, he's working all things out, and so even in your very tough situation, even in your, your seemingly horrific situation, we need to remember that God is working even there. Maybe to sanctify you. Maybe to, to pull away things in your life to make you more dependent upon him. Maybe to, to really rest in the grace and the mercy that he has and, and to really appreciate it in a way that you've never appreciated it before. This morning as I was getting ready, I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking how, how spoiled I am. In other words, do I really understand? I, I many times will think about what if I was in Ukraine right now? What if I was one of those young men or a child over there? What if I was in the inner city in a ghetto someplace living, and yet I complain about my life, <laughs> right? But God has authority no matter where we are at. That's hard to remember sometimes. Go, therefore. Now, some, some would argue, and, and maybe this is true, we don't know in the text here. He's saying, kind of, as you go, do this. Is he sending them specifically someplace? I think both are true here. I think it's as we go, as we live. Um, the text could mean as we go, we're, we're to do this. We're to make disciples wherever we go, as we go. I think there's also a place where God does commission some to go specifically and calls people specifically to a certain group of people, to a certain person sometimes. God maybe is calling you to a certain person to share the gospel with them. And so it says here, but what do we do when we go? That's the question, right? Go there for what? Make disciples. We're just going to stop on that word right there. Make disciples. That word is what we would call an imperative. It means it's an absolute must. This is not up for debate. 
This is not something, a suggestion that God is giving us. Jesus is saying, go therefore and make disciples. It's, it's a command to them. This, this is not, for, and, and, and so I want to back up a little bit. He's talking to the 11, but he's given us the example that's true for all of us as believers and of saints. Every one of us is to go and make disciples. Every one of us. We don't say, well, that was, that was these 11 guys. Well, okay, what happened when they all died? This has been 2,000 years, folks. Is it just for the people that are called to be international missionaries? I don't think so. We're all called. Some of us are called to, to go to our children. We're all called to go to our children. That's, that's not even an option either. That's, we're just called to do that, to dis- make disciples of our children. You look back in the psalm, I won't quote this correctly, right? Raise up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a principle. That's not a promise. I just want to make clear about that. You say, well, I've raised my child up, and he still went that way. Well, that's a principle, right? God is not saying that's a promise to you. It's wisdom. It's wise. And we are to do that. We are to raise up our children the way he should go. How many of us are doing that? How many of us have sat down and explained the gospel to our children at the age of five, starting maybe even before that, in appropriate ways? I was speaking to a, another pastor earlier this week, and there's a, uh, someone that he's meeting with, and, and it's, I don't know, this person's probably in their 20s, and they started talking about, uh, you know, their life and some of the challenges that's been going on, and and. The pastor asked him, he said, do you understand the gospel? He said, not really. Now, this, this, this gentleman grew up in a, what I would say is a Christian home. People that attended church pretty regularly were in Bible studies. They could say, well, the, the kid just didn't pay attention. That's possible. But are we making disciples of our children? Are we under, explaining what a disciple is? A, a, a disciple is, is someone who's a learner, someone who's following, someone who desires uh, to get to, to know Christ more, someone that is a hunger. And so are we making those disciples? Are we giving them the, the truth about who Christ is and how glorious he is? And can you imagine if we could explain the mysteries of Scripture to say, Jesus came and died for you, he became flesh, God became flesh and he died for you, and he's forgiven all of your sins for all time if you will just yield yourself to him. Isn't that the most wonderful thing? And are we sharing that with our children? I mean, are we saying that to them at five years old? Because, you know, I think they're sinners at five, amen? They're ankle biters, I think is what one of the guys said, right? And, and so, but we want to shout that from the rooftop to our children. We want to repeat it. We want to write it on their hearts. We want it to be memorized. And yes, we know that them coming to Christ has to be God. But we are just tilling the ground, so that when God in his infinite timing and perfect timing comes along and makes them a new creation, we have tilled the ground and we have made them ready for the gospel to be transformed. It's an imperative. And then he says, go therefore, make disciples of who? All nations. All nations. Not, not, just, not just America. And so that's why we, in, in, the, um, in the Southern Baptist denomination, we, it's very important that we have uh, our local congregation that we make disciples here and we, we disciple our children and we disciple the people that come through these doors. That's our goal. But we also look at 
North American missions. We want to plant churches in North America. We want international missions. Um, we want to do that. This couple that we're commissioning tonight, they're, they're, they're going internationally, right? A place where the gospel is, is less than 1% in this country. The Christians are less than 1%. And the reason that I believe they're going is because they understand this text. They know that they're to go to every nation. In fact, as believers, we should be looking and saying, where is the gospel not? And that's where I want to go. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. And it's been given to us to go. Revelations chapter 5, verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We see it here at the end, that before the throne, there'll be every tribe, tongue, and nation that'll be represented. God is not a, he's not, not prejudiced, there's no, look, we're his creation, we're his image bearers, and he has ransomed us back to himself. So then what do we see here? It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, the question then becomes, is that a command to baptize? When you really look at the language and the, the way that gram, gram, grammar is there, the, the, the language is not real. That's not an imperative to baptize or to teach. And you say, well, what? But they should get baptized. Absolutely, they should be baptized, and, and we should teach. It really is what it's saying, I believe. I think there's a, a little bit of the imperative there, but really the majority is, is that when you disciple someone, they will want to be baptized, right? If you disciple them and you share the gospel and you teach them the word of God, they will say, like the eunuch with Philip, is there water? I want to be baptized because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. It's not that we go and we baptize someone because we've been commanded to baptize someone. No, it's the outgrowth of, of discipling someone that's a natural outgrowth. They want to be baptized. They want to, to stand before their friends and their neighbors and their church family, and they want to say, yes, I believe. I am dying to myself. I'm giving my life away because I love Jesus. He's the thing I worship more than anything. That's, that's what it's about. And so it's a natural outgrowth. And so this, this next thing here, it says, teaching them. Okay, is, is that a command? Well, kind of it is, but it's, it's a responsibility. But once again, a discipler or a disciple is a learner. They want to learn. So the natural outcropping of a making a disciple is that they will want to learn more. And so teach them. Keep teaching them. Right? You, you've discipled them. You've made a disciple. Now you're going to teach them to be a disciple maker. Right? They're going to reproduce themselves. You want them to be a disciple maker. And so teach them. And so I would ask all of you this morning, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ... And, and you, you've been born again, you, you confess to have been a profession of faith, you confess Christ as Lord, Do you, have you been baptized? You say, well, I don't I just really struggle with that. I, I, I'm not here to beat anybody up, but I really struggle with that because when I read the text, I just think that if, if we really love Christ, that should be an outgrowth of our faith. It should be a natural outgrowth of, of being a disciple, of loving the Lord, to be obedient. 
Remember when I said it starts with obedience? This is one of those simple things in our walk with Christ. If you've been, if you've been there and you've given your life to Christ and it says all through Scripture that we should be baptized, why wouldn't that just be an urgency to be able to do, to honor God, just, just to go and do it? I mean, I remember when I was, I got baptized as a baby, so obviously I had nothing to do with that. And, and then when I was in my, I gave my life to Christ when I was 18 and kind of lived not very good after that. And, and then I was at work one night, well, many nights, working the third shift, sorting boxes. And these two or three guys that were Christians, they were discipling me. Ron Woods, Dave Mulligan, Dave Sandlin. Haven't talked to him in years, but I know every one of them. They had their little red Bibles. Sometimes they had big, big Bibles. One guy was absolutely a King James guy. I can remember that. No other Bible, King James, that's it, Right? And we would debate that. I was, the, I was the backslidden Christian in the group, I think, right? Whatever you want to call that. I was, un, was not being obedient to the word of God. And they began to show me that I should be baptized by immersion as an adult after I've given my life to Christ, not before. And when I was solid in the word, I said, I want to be baptized. Now, I wasn't going to church anywhere. I wasn't going to church anywhere. I was living not well. And, you know, one of those guys said, he was a Church of Christ guy, Dave, Dave Mulligan. He said, I'll, let's, I'll make an appointment with my pastor, and we're going to go all the way to Xenia, and uh, I'm going to get you baptized. And so one Sunday, I, or one time, I met with the pastor, and that next Sunday, I stood before that congregation and got baptized by immersion. It's the only time I'd ever been in that church. Don't know the guy's name, don't remember. Now, I'm not saying that's the way you should do that. That's, that's not an object lesson here. But I'm saying that when I saw from the Word of God, I wanted to be obedient to it even though there was lots of other parts of my life that weren't obedient at that time. It's when we see it, do we move? Do we take that step? And are we teaching each other? Are we teaching our children? So many people, so many of you know the word, and you say, well, I don't know it as well as I should. You know, I will tell you that if you begin to teach someone, you'll know it more. The best thing, and I think one of the reasons why God has has called me to be a pastor, allowed me to be in this place, is because he knew that I would not study the word like I have studied the word if I wouldn't be a pastor. I mean, sometimes I go, God, why would you put me here? He says, because you're, 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 you're not obedient to study on your own. <laughs> so I'm going to put you someplace, and you're going to have to. And you can ask anybody that teaches a Bible study class, anybody that leads a life group, are you benefited from leading? Amen? Amen. You, you know more. I, I was thinking about that this morning when we got done with the book of John. Like, I, I know more about the book of John than I've ever in my whole life because I've, I've immersed myself in it. So if we're going to be disciple makers, we need to make sure that we're teaching. And then it says to observe all I have commanded you. Obviously, this teaching is everything that Jesus has asked of us. Now, this is, this is not about being perfect. It's not about earning salvation. None of that. It is a response to God's grace and mercy and love. This, this idea that we follow and we're obedient and that we want to follow all the commandments, that we want to observe everything he's commanded, is not this idea, well, I need to do this so God loves me. I need to do this so I'll be good. No, don't ever go there. It is the fact it is a response to an incredible love from God. It's a desire that is in us to do those things. So once again, I would ask, you need to stoke that fire in you. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John's just saying, look, if you love Christ, this will be an outgrowth of your life. 
not just baptism, but wanting to learn, wanting to obey, right? Once again, obeying does not save us. Aren't we so grateful for that? We are wretched, but do we have a desire to keep growing? So what's the next thing we see here? We go with clear and specific instructions. God sends us with clear and specific instructions, does he not? Notice that he doesn't say, and, and let me finish this before you all jump to conclusion. He doesn't say, and do, go and do great social work. Go and, and build this or do that. The most important thing, the thing that he wants us to do above all things, is to make, teach people about him. That's it. Now, there's other beautiful things we can do, but if that, so many, we have to be so careful because we get off track. We begin to say, no, let's, we need to do this. We need to have this ministry and that ministry, and, and it's all about you know, helping the poor, and I, I agree with that. You know I'm a fan of Target Day and everything we do there, and one of the reasons I am is because they're teaching the gospel. But we have to be so careful because it's not just enough to be humanitarian. That is not what Christ called us first to do. It is to teach, to make disciples, to teach about him, so we go with clear and specific instructions. God is, Jesus is not mincing words here. It's not a whole list of things we have to kind of sort through, figuring out what we do. No, this is it. All right, the last part of the passage here. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This idea, this word always, um, I think it's better translated the whole of every day. So when Jesus says, I'm with you always, he's saying, the whole of every day. I never leave you. It's not like I'll be there available for you. No, the whole of every day, I am with you. In fact, we see that because they have the Holy Spirit, where's the Holy Spirit? He's in us. So he's there the whole of every day. We're under his authority, we walk in his authority, and he is with us all the time, the whole of every day. And then he goes on there, it says, to the end, excuse me, to the end of the age. Maybe another way to kind of look at that is to the end of history as we know it. Right to the end of what we know until, until Christ's return, until this age is over. So what Jesus is really saying here, he says, you know, I, I, will, I will be with you all the time, every day, as long as it goes. And so the last point that I want to say, and I, I, I think if you can follow with this, we're never alone wherever we go, as long as we go. Let me say that again. We're never alone wherever we go, as long as you go. In other words, if you live to be 100, he'll be with you every day as long as you go. But he'll be with you every day, every moment of every day, throughout your life. And as long as you live, until Christ returns, he will go with you. He was there with you. So both are true. He never leaves us. Right? So the question I have for you this morning, as we kind of wrap this up. First of all, following requires going. We're not a bunch of pew sitters. And now I can't really use that word because we don't have pews anymore, right? We're, it's even worse. Now you have cushions and backs and, and, you know, at least with the hard pews, you didn't want to sit long, right? Now we're comfortable. It's kind of a metaphor there for how we live out our life. We get comfortable. Here in the United States, we get comfortable. So the question I have for you is, who are you going to? Who are you going to? Our, our association, our Southern Baptist Association, um, has a program and, or a, a thing that they encouraged a year or so ago. It says, who's your one? Who's your one? Is there someone that, that you're praying for 
Is there someone that you're going to on a regular basis and sharing the gospel or looking for opportunities to share? Maybe they're already a believer and it's that one that you're going and you're, you're discipling them and, and you're teaching them and you're doing personal Bible study with them. Maybe it's that you're going to a group of people. Maybe it's that you're involved in, in teaching children or, or teaching a life group. Maybe that's where God has really put a burden on you to go. Maybe he's calling you internationally to go to a, a people group that's, that's far away that you know no one. They don't even speak their language. And maybe that's who he's calling you to. I don't know. I know he, he commissions all of us to go. Maybe it is that God is today, even at this very moment, he's put upon your heart that you are to go to your children in a way that you've never went to your children before. To study with your children, to show them, to teach them the Bible. My father did that in his own way. I remember sitting in a, a family room. I don't know how old I was in my early teens and and taught me how to pray, and he says, you know, say, I, I, Raleigh, you say, I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Because Raleigh says, you've sinned against God in every one of those things. And I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember where I was, and that was 50 years ago, 45. Now, did my dad disciple me perfectly? No. Did I have other members of my family that didn't know the gospel? Before my brother died at 50-some years old, 53 years old, I had a conversation with him six months before he died when I, I finally had the chance to share the gospel with him because I was too chicken for eight years. And God opened a door because that's who he is and that's how gracious he is. And my brother said, I don't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament. And yet we went to a church. We, we went to a Lutheran church. And, of course, I found out later that he skipped Sunday school every week. I don't think my parents knew that. And he went out and sat in the car. But um, sneaky little guy. Um, so, I mean, we have to be intentional about who we're going to. I would just encourage you today to be praying about who is God wants you to go to. Hudson Taylor was a, a missionary to China, spent 51 years there and set up organizations and training groups, and, and they think over 18,000 people ultimately came to Christ, and it was in the late uh, 1800s. I think he died in 1905. It's a quote. He says, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. And it's pretty clear. I could have read many more quotes from missionaries that are much harder than that one, I will tell you. Um, but I thought we were not, I'm not ready to be able to say those words, actually, because they are very tough words. So what's your next step this morning as you leave? Choose someone to disciple. Choose someone. Be intentional. Pray about it. They say, well, I'm not really... You know, and, and maybe you're going to choose someone and it is not going to work out. So then you're going to have to choose somebody else. You can't bail because, well, God didn't open that door. Pray that God will open a door. Pray that God will give you an opportunity to do that. I will tell you that I prayed to be able to share the gospel with my brother, Jim, who's now deceased, for eight years. I was at Salem Church of God. I remember it. I was on my knees down front praying with a pastor. His name was Jerry Lewis, who ultimately did our wedding. And I was praying for my brother Jim. I was crying. I was weeping over him. And I wanted to share the gospel. And I was just too scared. And one day after I did my aunt's funeral, I was ended up in a vehicle with him. And I knew I was supposed to do it. And I've told you this story. And I just couldn't get it out. I couldn't get it out. And Time went on, I couldn't get it out, and finally we pull up someplace and I look over, my brother was a big guy, beard, and kind of bald, and, and I look over and he is crying. And I'm like, what is going on? He says, I need to talk to you. And, and we had an opportunity to share the gospel and I asked his forgiveness. I said, I've been wanting to have this conversation for eight years, Jim. And I've been too afraid. I don't want to do that anymore. And by God's grace, he opened that door. So you begin to pray for people. 
that God will open a door. Choose someone to disciple. Let me close with this passage from the Apostle Paul found in Romans 10, 14 and 15. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how they are to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the commission that you've given to all of us. I thank you for the authority that we go in, Father, that we do not go in our own merit, our own strength. We go under the authority of the risen Christ, the King of all kings, the Messiah, who's been given all authority in heaven and earth. Father, we know that salvation is yours. It is yours. You are sovereign over it. You call people. You transform people's hearts. But we are part of that process that you so graciously use. And so, Father, I pray that we will not be afraid that we will be intentional and that our worship will precede our going because we must worship and have a right understanding of who you are and be totally raptured by you so that we will go. And so, Father, I just pray that we will have that and understand that and we'll be overwhelmed by you. Help us to follow the clear and concise instructions that you give us. Help us to keep first things first. We are to be disciple makers above all things. Father, today, if there's folks here in this place that have not, do not know you. Help them to see why people are coming to them. Help them to appreciate that, Father, you have called the church to go to them, and, and maybe they can see that, and in that they'll see your love for them, that you have mobilized the entire Christian community, all of the saints, to go into the world, and they are part of it, and we are going to them, and it, they can see now that it's because of your great love for them. Father, may you use that to transform their heart this morning. May they become a new creation in Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at Have a blessed day.